Well, tonight I'm speaking on living hope. And um, I want to talk about hope because life without hope is very bleak. And I was doing some research on the internet, um, just looking at, you know, what is it, what does it feel like when people don't have hope? And um, I came across this chat room, and it was uh, from a young person who was writing in this chat room. And um, this is what they say, I'm, I'm in my 20s. I have a good job, um, I have a degree and a bunch of other qualifications, but everything feels pointless or meaningless. I don't feel like I'm living. I don't feel like my existence is contributing anything worthwhile to the world. I don't feel any fulfillment. I work so hard to get this job. Now I feel underwhelmed by life in general. None of it means anything. I'm not depressed or suicidal. I just feel completely detached from life. I can't feel anything about it. Nothing has depth or purpose. And then I was reading an article by a guy called Phil Knox from the Evangelical Alliance. And he was commenting on different news feeds. And he said, occasionally, there is one that hits me like a punch in the stomach. And last week, I clicked on such an article, and this is what it said. The number of young people in the UK who do not believe that life is worth living has more than doubled. That's almost one in five of our young people. So these pieces may seem a bit stark, but we also know they're not just isolated to young people. It's a societal issue. Many people are living with a sense of hopelessness. And if we're honest, even those of us here who know and love Jesus, from time to time, we kind of dip into a fleeting sense of hopelessness that can take hold of us. And it can be triggered for all sorts of different reasons. You could be going through a financial period of unsettledness or uh, the loss of a loved one or unrequited love. It may be a threat to dreams and plans that you have, goals and objectives that are being blocked. Um, some years ago, when we were asked to take on the role of, of national directors of the UK and Ireland, I kind of went into a tiz because I just didn't see how it was going to work. How are we going to manage to lead Trent Vineyard? How was I going to have any time for my family and potentially grandchildren? And momentarily, I lost sight of this living hope. And when we don't see a way ahead, we may face losing hope. Now, the Apostle Peter is uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, he walked with Jesus. He knew Jesus personally. And he writes this in the book that he wrote to the early church. And he writes this in 1 Peter 1, um, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. So Peter is writing to the early church and the early church is scattered and persecuted. So he's reminding them that in this time of challenge, um, they have hope. And so just as that was important for the early church, it's important for our society, and this message is important for us tonight here at Trent Vineyard in 2019. There is hope for us. There is hope whether you know Jesus or whether you don't. And this morning, I want to look at this particular scripture, sorry, tonight, and, um, and particularly the phrase, living hope. What is this living hope? 
Well, to understand what Peter is talking about when he uses the phrase living hope, first of all, we need to go back to the very beginning. Um, where he, because from the start, human beings have had a longing created within us. Um, there's a minister in New York called Tim Keller. He writes lots of great books, and he says this, we are hope-based creatures. So we don't just have instincts like animals. We have aspirations, we have yearnings, we have desires. So even more than hunger needs food or um, thirst needs water, we need this deep yearning for living hope to be realized. So what is it? Well, this hope, this living hope, is for a real and deep connection with God who made us. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, which is the first book of the Bible, it says this in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. Now, God is a triune God, three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery how it works. But what it says to us is that God is in relationship, continually in relationship. From the start, sharing in perfect love one for another. And God in relationship says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image. So we were made, mankind was made in love and for love. For unbroken connection with God and with each other. So God formed us. He breathed into us. And at the start, we walked with him in perfect, innocent love. Transparent, naked, no shame, no guilt, no embarrassment. Pure intimacy with God and each other. This is why we were made. This is what we were made for. And this is what this hope craves. And when our longing and our desire is met in intimacy and unity with God, when this happens, then we start to see how this living hope carries the promise for us to be all that we were created to be. It carries the seeds of fruitfulness and it affects every area of our lives. Take the, a picture of an acorn, an acorn that is hard, a hard shell on the outside. But if you look with eyes of hope, you'll see an oak tree. And if you look further with eyes of hope, you may even see a forest. Because when we connect to God, it's a new birth into who we are and what our potential really is. It's incredibly exciting. And when we see people who have found this answer, this longing, it's so inspiring. We love to hear testimonies of people who have come into contact with God, who have made, it, made a decision to start following Jesus for the first time. A few weeks ago, 32 people were baptized here at the evening service. One of them was Daniel, you might remember, from the youth, Trent Youth, and he was so confident in the way he shared his story. And uh, he'd invited 80 of his school friends to come to his baptism. He was an example of someone who exudes living hope. And then there was another one, Tom. He spoke of um, this journey, a tumultuous journey. Somewhere in his background, he knew who Jesus was, something of Jesus. But he came to a point in his life where he was suicidal. And at that point, he, he cried out to Jesus. And then Jesus gave him hope. And he began to journey. And then eventually, he met some folks from Trent Vineyard on the streets. And then they invited him to church. And he started to discover what a relationship with Jesus really looks like. And you could see from his story that he was compelled in his relationship with Jesus. He was in love with Jesus. And it was, uh, you could see the evidence of this living hope. 
But you know, there are people here, there are many of you here tonight, you've been walking with Jesus for years, and in your story, you have seen evidence of this living hope. For example, uh, Dan and Danny Turner, who have a business called Bunches, flower business, and um, they talked about how God had inspired them to be generous with the profits of their business. And they find people from underdeveloped countries, uh, impoverished people, and they sow into them so that those people can start businesses and see their families flourish. So they carry this living hope, Danny and Dan. They carry it, and you, we see the fruitfulness of it in, this, in generosity. So it's in this context of who we were made, who made us, and what we were made for, Uh, that we can grasp what Peter is saying about this living hope. And it's a yearning, and it's satisfied only in God. It's been put in there by God from the very beginning. Now, Peter tells us that this hope is living. So what does living mean when Peter describes it? Well, in verse 3, Peter says, God, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Now, living in the translation not only implies alive and real, but something dependable, something firm, something that can be relied upon. Now, Peter talks about the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection of Jesus is hard evidence. It was witnessed by hundreds of people on numerous occasions. It's a historical fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's what gives us certainty. And when we look to Jesus, we see who we can be now in him and who we are becoming. It's not wishful thinking. It's not vague. It's not just a vague hopefulness. It's a living hope. It's like a baby, a baby in the womb. It's there. It's real. It can be felt. There is evidence. There are scans. We feel the movement of it. We see the changes in weight of the mother. We see hormones changes. All these confirm that this is real. This is certain. This is a living hope. This hope for a child will come to pass. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You've conceived a child. This living hope is like a baby. It's been given to us. We can take it. We can experience it. And the more we live in it, the more it is realized, and there's more to come. In verse 4, Peter says, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. There is more, there is more in eternity. We have such potential, and it starts when you start a relationship with Jesus. Now, I know somebody who has really carried this living hope into the most amazing fruitfulness. And his name is Mike Pilavacci. He's a Greek. He was trained as an accountant. And as a young man, he ended up in my parents' church. And he was uh, quite insecure, needed a lot of healing in his life. But he became the youth leader uh, in my parents' church. And when the Holy Spirit was moving in their church and God was doing a number of wonderful things, Mike came to my father and he said, I really believe that, that we should start a youth festival a youth festival for young people, a place where youth can come and be inspired to live like Jesus. And my father said, Mike, that's the craziest idea I've ever heard. We've got to do it. (laughs) And so this Soul Survivor Festival began. And uh, over the course of 30 or so years, they have reached hundreds and thousands of young people, not just in the UK, but all over the world, inspired them to live their lives for Jesus. You see, this hope that we carry... It grows within us, it multiplies, and it can become incredibly fruitful in all sorts of ways, ordinary ways, supernatural ways. 
This new birth into a living hope can start for the first time today, or for others of us, it's an opportunity to nurture this living hope. But before I start talk about how it can start, I just want to talk about a problem that we face when we're looking at hope. Because as I mentioned earlier, there are people sitting in chat rooms who are hopeless. Many people in our society feel hopeless. There is a sense of hopelessness, and even sometimes some of us get into a feeling of hopelessness. So what is this problem? Well, most people don't know what they are really created for, that they are really created for this kind of living hope. C.S. Lewis, he's the author of the Narnia books, he wrote a book called Mere Christianity, and he writes a whole chapter on hope. And this is something that he said. Most people really want something acutely, something not of this world, something no earthly marriage or travel can really satisfy. In a different piece, he said, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. So the problem comes when we don't understand that what we are looking for in this deep yearning for living hope, what we are looking for is not of this world. It's spiritual and it's God. That's the connection that we're yearning for. And if you don't know this, you're going to try and meet your need in lots of different ways. Material things, career, experiences, projects, people. Ultimately, these things, however good they are, they are not the fulfillment of the deepest yearning. But we can be duped, even those of us who know and love Jesus. We can be duped from time to time. We can find ourselves consumed in something. A few years ago, John and I, we felt we should um, do a loft conversion. And you know, I got myself completely immersed. I mean, we were designing it. We, it was choosing furniture, soft furnishings, paints, swatches, all kinds of things. It took us forever, and I was completely absorbed. And then we were nearly there, and I said, John, we need an oak beam. We've got to have an oak beam. I mean, there wasn't an oak beam in our loft at all, but I'm like, we've got to have an oak beam in the middle of the room. This will be perfect finish. And so John sourced um, some wood, and he planed it off, and, um, and the day came when he and Zach were at the top, three stories up, hanging over a Juliet balcony, and I'm at the bottom with this um, piece of, huge piece of uh, oak, and it's been got rope around it, and we're just sort of, they're taking it up, lynching it up, and I'm at the bottom, and, and, and this thing was beginning to sway from side to side, and, and I was losing kind of the, the grip of it, because obviously it was going higher, and suddenly I thought, oh my gosh, the whole thing's going to come crashing down, and I'm jumping out the way, screaming, it's not going to work, no, stop, stop, and, but anyway, they, they, they managed to haul it over the balcony, and we ended up with this oak beam, but I realized that I'd become so consumed in this, and for a moment, I'd kind of lost the plot. And it was so refreshing to get back to connecting with God. Because any of us can get distracted. Another thing that can distract us is, is a relationship. We can seek to find fulfillment in a relationship. And I, I, I believe that this also has dangers. And uh, Tim Keller, who I was quoting earlier, he said something along these lines. If you love another person, another, more, and not God first you may crush them with your desire. They can't meet the need that you have for God. The expectation only God can satisfy can't be found in your children or your partner. It's not fair on them. So 
You have to want to go to the depths of your being to seek out the desire for God and not try to take the edge off with other people or other stuff. So some folk, they're not even in touch with this deep yearning because they're having a great time with all kinds of projects and enterprises, a holiday home, a new car, a sex partner, and it's on and on. And they don't appear to be in touch with the void that needs filling. And this kind of meeting of sensations, this kind of way of dealing with hope, it's like wishful thinking. In the end, it doesn't connect you with your deepest longing. It doesn't connect you with your purpose or indeed connect you with others in a meaningful way. It's not the living hope. It's not the inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade that Peter describes. Neither is it firm. It's not dependable. It's not something that you can rely upon. It doesn't pave the way for lasting friendships or faithful marriage or healthy family or community building because you're putting far too much pressure on those things. Those things will disappoint you ultimately. The real deepest longing to connect with God is what our deepest longing is yearning for. And that's where we need to find fulfillment. It's God and through relationship with him expressing his nature. And this is why people start to lose hope. They become disillusioned, heartbroken. They're going around in circles, filling up their lives with perishable things that can't be depended on. God knows us best. It's he who enables us to love him, to love ourselves, and to love each other, to love our neighbor as ourselves, And to live like Jesus showed us that we could live. That's what this living hope is. It's a living hope for now, and it's a living hope for eternity. That's the way I want to live. And I wonder if you do as well. So if you want this, how do you get it? Well, in verse 3, Peter says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. So if you want this living hope, Peter says it's given. You can receive it. The book of Genesis tells us that we lost connection with God. But God never left us. But we couldn't connect. We'd taken sin into ourselves. We took lies, deception, shame, selfishness, blame, all manner of wrongs divide us and they still divide us. While we live, sin is a problem. And the main problem is that we have believed lies about God and lies about how to satisfy this living hope. But God in his mercy, he's given us new birth. That means he's given us a new way, a new passageway, free of the wrong, a new passageway into living hope. And we only have to come into agreement with this and say yes to Jesus. Because Jesus dealt with the sin problem on the cross. He took it into himself. And that way, when we come into agreement with what Jesus did, we can receive this living hope. We can't earn it. It's impossible to try. So we may as well give up and take hold of it. And if you feel you've lost it, take hold of it again. Some of you are so aware of guilt and shame in your life. Sometimes you don't feel worthy to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. Well, you need to know it's given. It's free. It's, it's really because of the freedom and the, the, the joy in receiving this that we have every reason to worship God and be in relationship with him. We cannot earn it. Peter, who wrote this book, he knows full well what it was to be ashamed. He denied Jesus 
when Jesus was going to the cross, he denied knowing Jesus. He walked away, pretended he had nothing to do with Jesus. And when he met the resurrected Jesus, he was ashamed. He was embarrassed. He didn't want to connect. But Jesus sought him out, and he reinstated him. And so that's why Peter can talk with certainty about living hope to the early church. This living hope we receive is the person of Jesus. We receive him into our hearts and we receive his Holy Spirit with that. It's amazing. It's so fulfilling. Now, I recently met somebody who, like Peter, the Apostle Peter, is walking in this reality. His name is David Bennett and he, walked, he wrote this book, which I recently read. It's called A War of Loves. It's an amazing story. It's a story of a gay activist who finds Jesus on his journey, and he decides to give his life to Jesus in lifelong celibacy. It's so countercultural. It's deeply challenging. But this living hope in his life overflows. It's just beautiful. He's taken a very deep uh, a longing that many people, even some of you here might say is a human right to express your sexuality, and he's chosen to go deeper. He's chosen to go deeper to find this deepest longing fulfilled in an intimate relationship with God. Now, I wanted to meet him when I read the book, and somehow God orchestrated it, and it came about, and I went to London and uh, had dinner with him, a close friend of his who turned out to be friends with my daughter-in-law, and so my son, my daughter-in-law, his friend, and David, we sat in at dinner, and we had the most amazing interaction. It was such a life-giving conversation. We talked about healing and Holy Spirit activity and people being set free, and it was just the most amazing conversation about Jesus. And we ended up praying for the waiter, and uh, we were paying the bill, and, uh, and the waiter was knelt down next to us. So there's David and me, and we're laying hands on him, we're praying for the waiter. The table next to us had already overheard some of our conversation, started to interrupt the whole thing, and wanted to understand what was going on. They had been like caught up in what we were saying, and they, they loved it. They were, and, and we ended up staying 45 minutes after paying the bill, and they wanted to understand the dynamics of the table. They thought we had been friends all our lives. And they could hear that we were full, full of joy. And uh, they talked about kind of like, we were quite noisy, but there was so much fun. They couldn't help but eavesdrop. There's about four of them on that table. And um, so we had this amazing conversation. And what they didn't understand is how could it be possible to have such deep connection, such meaningful inter interaction. And some of us had only met for the first time. And then it's like, so do you kind of um, worship in the same church? No, actually. Um, I worship in the vineyard. They worship in the Church of England. These guys Guys, this is a Pentecostal, and, and in different parts of the country. And these people could not get over it because the, the living hope was overflowing. Folks, how do we nurture this living hope? I've talked about how we take it for the first time, but how do we nurture it when we've got it? And remember that Peter is writing to a church that is persecuted and scattered. They're in danger of losing confidence. And so he gives them a perspective. And he actually goes on, if you read on um, through the chapter to verse 6, he says, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You see, we're going to face challenges. We're going to get distracted. We're going to be in testing times. And some of you, even now, you may be feeling somewhat hopeless in the midst of a deep pain and suffering. This is very real. And, poor, and Peter isn't belittling it, neither am I. But he's saying that in the midst of these trials, there is comfort through this living hope. It can be experienced in the midst of difficulty. 
So Peter encourages folks in this situation because he's saying that sufferings don't change the fact that this living hope, this connection with God is ongoing and it's real. We just received an email a few weeks ago from Binky. She's a vineyard pastor in Indonesia and she's holding on to this living hope. She wrote about her late husband, Ian. Uh, This is a picture of him uh, when he was sharing some stories where he was here at Trent Vineyard about two years ago with all the other national directors across the world. And we were with him less than a year ago, and he was fine and well. And then during the year, he became very poorly. And a few weeks ago, she wrote thanking us for our prayers. She said this, he died peacefully with a smile on his face. You see, their hope hadn't been shaken. She grieves, but she grieves as it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. You may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You see, she still has hope. Now, I just want to list, as we come into land, seven things that will nurture living hope. The first one is, don't give up meeting together. That's a recommendation from Hebrews. Come together in these gatherings. Meet here, meet in small groups, hang out socially. You know, it's really important because we can get picked off by the enemy when we become isolated and on our own. Meet together to encourage one another. Share words of encouragement, prophetic words for each other. Secondly, pray to God. Talk with him. Pray with each other, you know, and for each other. You know, when people come up for ministry, it's such an amazing opportunity to to be community, to be family, and and come up and and, and minister to one another. But talk with God on a daily basis, basis. Tell him your concerns and practice forgiveness. Ask God to show you if there's any bitterness in your heart, if there's anybody who's hurt you that you need to forgive, and get it off your chest and deal with it quickly. Ask God to show you if there are things that you've done wrong that you need to ask for forgiveness about. But continue to pray. Thirdly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We leak. We need to be filled again and again. We receive the Spirit when we come to faith for the first time. But we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and touched by the Holy Spirit regularly. We leak, as I said. Jesus told us to wait for the Holy Spirit, to wait for his power. Do you know, amazing things happen when the Holy Spirit moves amongst us. Um, about a month ago, it was the National Leaders Conference, and on the last night in this room, it was cramful. Uh, Katya Adams was speaking, and joy broke up in, out in the room, and people were laughing spontaneously all around the room, and some of it was unrelated to what she was saying. And it could have been quite distracting, but sitting in the group um, was a woman from Winchester, a leader from Winchester. And um, she noticed on the way home that, that her condition had changed. And basically, she had come to NLC with a condition that she's had for many years of chronic fatigue, but also severe itching. And when she would itch her skin, she would itch it so hard that she would bruise and mark her skin. And on the way home, she realized that for the whole evening, she hadn't had to scratch herself. She wasn't itching. A month later, she wrote to say, not only did the itching stop that night, but I have been free of chronic fatigue. An amazing thing happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. Fourthly, worship. Worship in song. Worship in personal devotion. Get Dave's album, this latest one, 12.1. Get it on Spotify or iTunes. Listen to it in the car. Listen to it as you walk. Sit in the presence of God. Tell God how much you love him. Journal. You know, have that time, that time with God. Fifthly, practice thankfulness. This is an antidote to fear and anxiety. Just the other day, I was in a conversation with someone about something massive that we're looking at. And and for a moment, I felt like I nearly threw up with with kind of the fear of this thing and how it was going to work. 
And then I just thought, no, I'm going to choose thankfulness because God, you have always, you've, you've always delivered. When you've asked us to do something, you've come through, you've led us, you've been with us. And I wanted, I started thanking him about all sorts of things in my life, family, friends, his, his just relationship with him. I mean, it just went on and on. And you know, thankfulness nurtures living hope. Sixthly, study the word of God. You know, there's no better way to know God because in the midst of trials and sufferings, we all experience those challenges, but emotions can go up and down, up and down. I certainly do. But the word of God is constant. We need to hold on to his truths and promises. You know, there are resources out there. The Bible app has loads of resources to help you study the word. Uh, you can find Nikki Gumbel's Bible in one year on that, which is such a helpful tool. And then finally, as we come into land, let this hope find an outlet. Share it. Let living hope find a way out in loving and serving others. Use it in prayer. Use it in generosity. God wants us to connect with him in living, fruitful, loving lives for him, for each other, for the hopeless in society. This living hope grows. It's our inheritance. It doesn't perish. It doesn't spoil. And it doesn't fade. Let's stand. Amen.